being in the Bible. And Deuteronomy chapter 30 is our passage this morning. And it's on page 164 of the Blue Bibles. We'll be reading the whole chapter, so strap yourselves in. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord your God and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors if you, obey the Lord, your, if you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live in increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Oh, hello. That's a bit loud. How are we now? That's better. All right, uh, as you may have already gathered, my name is Tim, and 
it is my second last week here, which I have quite mixed feelings about. I'm looking forward to new opportunities, but I'm quite sad about leaving. Uh, so that's just how I feel. How do you guys feel? I also feel a little bit sick, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that God would fill me with energy and clear my nose out so that I can uh, speak without coughing and spluttering. So how about I do that? Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us through Moses, through the Bible, all those years ago. Thank you that this word is for Israel back then, but it is also for us now. Please help us to hear it. Please help us to listen. Help us to obey. Help us to choose life. And Father, now as I speak, please uh, help me to feel well so that I might speak well. Help us here to be alert and attentive, to listen to your truths as you speak them. And please use these words here to encourage and sharpen your people and to bring more people to know you as the Lord and God you are. Amen. Now, have you ever made a really dumb decision? Like a really silly decision, like you knew what the right one was, you chose the bad way. I, I did this three times this week. On three separate occasions, I made dumb decisions. On Monday, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but the Macca's app had 30 days of deals, and on Monday, it was a $2 thick shake. And I love thick shakes, but boy, do they make me feel sick. But I couldn't resist a $2 thick shake. So I got my thick shake, and I drank it, and I regretted it like half an hour later for the rest of the day. That was a dumb decision. On Wednesday, I went to the beach, and for some reason, while I was uh, going with everyone and I was getting my son ready, I just forgot about the sunscreen. Uh, and so by the end of the day, I'd burnt really bad. I looked like a tomato, and I've been regretting it all week. Uh, I don't know if my face is still a bit red, but it was pretty bad. Dumb decision, right? Or the other night, I stayed up with some friends. Uh, we're hanging out, we're having a good time, uh, but my son Sam, he's been sleeping so bad all week. He'd been waking up two or three times in the night and uh, taking a long time to go back to sleep, so I was tired, I knew I wouldn't get a good night's sleep, but I really wanted to hang out with my friends, I really wanted to stay up, uh, and so I did, I stayed up, and that night was the worst night we'd had, I think I probably got about three hours sleep tops, that was another dumb decision although I enjoyed it at the time. Sometimes decisions, they should be really, really obvious, but we just can't choose the right way, or the good way, or the obvious way. And today we'll see that Israel, they had this really obvious decision in front of them. And they, they don't make a dumb decision, they make a decision that leads to their death. It's far more than dumb, and it's far worse than a little bit of sunscreen, sorry, sunburn, it's a choice of life or death. Now remember, Israel, they're camped outside the promised land. They're at the place of decision. Will they follow God's law when they enter the land or will they not? And Moses, as he gets into this third speech of his in the book of Deuteronomy, he doesn't have high hopes. He reckons that Israel, they will fail. They won't obey God's law because there's a problem deep down inside of them that they need God to fix. 
And so as we explore chapter 30 today, we're going to see their problem under the heading of heart disease. We're going to see the cure that God brings called heart cure. And finally, we're going to see their decision and our decision under the heading choose life. So if you have the bulletins with you, you can follow along there. But one quick note, at the top of the bulletin, it says Ezekiel 37. That's a misprint. That's my fault. We're actually in Deuteronomy 30, like we just read. So let's get straight into it. To understand chapter 30, the chapter we read, we actually need to do a little bit of context. We need to look at chapters 27 to 29. Don't worry, it'll be quick. In chapters 27 to 29, we'll see that everyone has heart disease. Everyone has heart disease, and it's not going to cause a heart attack. It stops you from receiving God's blessing. Everyone has heart disease, which stops us from receiving God's blessing. And this is going to be our first point for today. In chapters 27 to 28, Moses gathers all of Israel to himself. And he tells them, well, he tells them, if you obey God and you keep his covenant, then you'll receive amazing blessings. Amazing blessings. But if you disobey, you'll be cursed. You'll be put under a curse. So these two chapters are all about blessing and curse. God blesses Israel with abundance in the land. The land is often described as flowing with milk and honey. I don't know what you imagine when you think of abundant land, but that sounds very abundant to me. Specifically, God says you will have lots of kids, lots of crops, and lots of cattle. You will have everything you need to feed your hundreds of kids, right? And not only abundance, but they also have security, Any nation that invades them, well, they'll be defeated. So they'll never have to worry about being overrun, being sent out of their land, being destroyed. God gives them security. But these are the blessings if they obey God. This is what comes if they obey. If they don't, God will curse them. Disobedience leads to famine, leads to destitution, to plagues, to invasion... And these curses, they're not designed to destroy Israel. They're more like an early warning system. God says, I will send these curses so that you know that you're disobeying me, so that you know you have to turn back, that you can obey, and when you do, I'll give you my blessing once again. That's how these curses are designed. Not to destroy Israel, but to warn them. But if they continue in their disobedience if they continue to turn from God, if they continue to worship other gods and idols and don't turn back to God, then there is one final curse, the curse of destruction. God's covenant will be broken once and for all. God will take their land from them and he'll send them into exile. That is the final curse of Deuteronomy 28. And so in both of these chapters, chapters 27 and 28, God is basically saying, if you hold to our agreement that we've made together, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. That's chapters 27 and 28. Chapter 29 is about the history of Israel, but not just the history that Israel have lived, but the history they're living and the history they will live in the future. Moses begins in chapter 29, his third and final speech in the book. He tells Israel their past, their present and their future. 
Moses, he reminds Israel of what God has done for them, how God rescued them from Egypt, rescued them from Pharaoh, how they wandered in the desert for 40 years because of their disobedience. But God still provided for them everything they needed for 40 years. And then Moses says, remembering all that, see where you are now. You're in the place of decision. You're standing here with the land in front of you. God has made his covenant with you. Enter the land. But then Moses looks to the future, to the time after they've entered the land. And things start to go downhill pretty fast. Moses warns them of disobedience, but the warning soon turns into a prediction. Moses predicts that Israel will turn from God. Moses says that Israel's disobedience, it will break that covenant. That covenant that God made with them, it will be no more. God will bring those curses and God will exile them. And you know what? Moses is bang on. As we keep reading the Old Testament, we see that Israel, they do enter the land, but they're disobedient. They disobey God, they break his covenant, and God sends warning after warning, prophet after prophet, saying, no, turn back, turn back. His curses that are designed to help Israel to turn back, well, they don't work. Israel don't turn back. They keep living in disobedience. They keep turning to other gods, to idols. And so, the covenant is broken and God exiles them. In the year 587 BC, God sends the nation Babylon to destroy Jerusalem, to destroy the temple to God and to send them into foreign lands. Now, how did Moses know that things were going to go so bad? How did Moses know that they wouldn't be able to keep the covenant? Well, in one sense, it's really quite simple. Moses knows that Israel have heart disease. Moses knows that Israel will not keep the covenant because there is a problem deep inside them, in their heart. It has infected their hearts so that now they can't obey God. There is no possible way they could obey God's law perfectly. This disease, it naturally inclines people, not towards God, but away from God to turn away from their saving God. And Moses has already warned about this disease in Deuteronomy. In chapters 10, verse 16, Moses says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Moses is hinting that there's something wrong with their hearts. They need to be circumcised. They need to be changed. They need to be cured. Because without that, they'll be stiff-necked. They'll be stubborn. They'll be stubborn against the law. So what is this disease? Well, it's the corrupt nature inside of Israel. It's what causes them to turn away. It's their deep desire to live their own way, to do what they want to do, to control their own destiny. And you may have heard of it before, we call it sin. It means that disobedience is inevitable. So then is cursing and exile. It will happen because they are sick. Now, sin is not just a problem for Israel. The Bible continues to talk about sin, not just for Israel, but for every single person who has ever lived. Sin infects every person. Look at what uh, the New Testament says about sin. This is written by the Apostle Paul, and he picks up on an Old Testament song, 
And it goes, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. No one is righteous, which means no one is perfectly good. It's saying that every single person has the same heart disease. Every single person is infected with sin. And sin isn't just doing bad things. It's not just lying or stealing or murdering or whatever you might uh, conceive in your head, uh, things that we can do. Each of these things is sin. Don't get me wrong, they are sin. But that's not all that sin is. Like I said about Israel, sin is an attitude. It says, I don't want God. I don't even need God. I'm doing just fine without Him. And if we're all perfectly honest with ourselves, there have been days where we've just completely forgotten about God. And we've lived our life, our own merry way, and we've gotten along just fine without Him. But we're forgetting that God sustains us. He gives us life. He gives us everything. Everything is from God. And when we forget that, that is called sin. And so those days where we forget about God, those are the days we're living in sin. My problem is I do that every single day. From moment to moment, I forget God. And I'm sure it's the same with you. Now, here's the real kick in the guts. Just like Israel were put under curse for their sin, for breaking their covenant, we too are put under a curse for our sin. Our curse isn't exile into Babylon. Our curse is death. It's judgment and punishment, which is death. And so it's really, really important for us today to understand that we are infected with sin. That's the first step to heading towards the cure that God offers us. If we don't recognise our sin, we will not look for a cure. And so we recognise sin together. We did it before. Tim called it confession. And that's all confession is. We recognise our sin before God. We confess to God that we have a disease and that disease has meant that we haven't lived His way. And the reason why we do it each week in church is, is it's because it infects everyone. It's something that we all have in common together. We all fall short of our great God. No one is righteous, not even one. But just doing it on a Sunday morning is not enough. Day by day, we need to recognise our sin before God because otherwise we'll never seek the cure that God has offered us. So if you have never confessed your sin to God before, if you have never even recognised your sin in your life before, can I encourage you today, maybe take a quiet moment after the service, pray quietly to God. You can simply say, Dear God, I'm sorry that I sin. I recognise now that I do sin and I'm sorry. And that's your first step to being cured. Or you can come up the front to one of the pastors here, I'll be up the front, one of the other pastors, and you can talk to us about it. But it's so important that we confess it, that we acknowledge it, because otherwise we'll never seek the cure, which means we'll head towards death. Now, all that is just context. Context for chapter 30. I know, it's a lot of context, but uh, chapter 30 will go a bit quick. 
Israel have a heart problem. It will cause them to disobey and to be exiled from their land. We have a heart problem. It will cause us to disobey and be killed, to be put to death. So as we arrive in chapter 30, God does something amazing. We'll see that God gives a new heart so that we can come to him and have life. We will be given a heart cure. Come back with me to Deuteronomy 30, if you're not already there, page 164 of those blue Bibles in front of you. And we're going to camp in here for a bit, so please do keep them open. And I'll read verses 1 to 3. You can see it on the screen if that helps. Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 3. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come on you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, so that's the scattering, the exile that God has sent them out, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything that I commanded you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. So among Israel's cursing, among their exile, there will come a day when they will remember God. They'll remember the good life they had in the land. They'll remember God's blessings and they'll remember, ah, it's because we followed God's law. And so they will turn to God and they'll start to obey him again. Now the covenant is broken. At this point, God has no obligation to Israel anymore. The covenant is broken, so God does not have to bless them anymore. But God chooses to restore Israel. He chooses to gather them back, to bring them from all the nations back into their home nation of Israel. God will restore them. Now, this kind of thing, it's unheard of in the ancient world. This kind of thing didn't happen. If your country was overrun and destroyed and you were scattered, you never went home. You never went back. You never had that national identity again. But God says, no, no, I will bring you back. I will bring my people back. Look with me at verse 5, again on the screens or in your Bibles. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. And then skip down to verse 7. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate you and persecute you. So God has not only given them the land, he's given them abundance and security again. That sounds exactly like the covenant blessings of, verse, of chapters 27 and 28. God promises to do something incredible, not because he is obliged to, not because he has a covenant with them anymore, but because he loves them, because he is a loving, compassionate, merciful God. Even though Israel broke their covenant, even though they disobeyed him, even though God doesn't have to bring them back, out of the goodness of his heart, he does. What a great God we have. God's goodness, it doesn't end there though. Israel's heart disease is still there and it needs to be cured. And we skipped over verse 6 a moment ago, but how about we read it again? The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants 
so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Before when Moses says, circumcise your hearts so that you'll no longer be stiff-necked, here Moses says, God will do it for you. God will cure your heart disease. Once and for all, God will fix that problem. You'll be able to obey, you'll be able to live, you'll be under God's blessing once again, all because God loves you and has given you a new heart. Not because God has to, but out of his loving kindness. And so sure enough, God gathers his people back into his land. Remember, this is Moses before they've even gone into the land. He's making these predictions. But in the year 539 BC, the nation of Persia rose up and defeated Babylon. Remember, Babylon are the ones who took Israel out of their land in the first place. Then Cyrus, the king of Persia, the next year after he destroys Babylon, he makes a decree. He says that the Jews are allowed to return back to their homeland. And so from that point on, God's people, they slowly start to be gathered back in Israel. They return home, they rebuild the city of Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple. God's promise is finally being fulfilled. But something, something's a little different. Things are a little off. It's not like it was before they left. And, and they're still disobeying God. Their heart hasn't been cured yet. There, there wasn't the abundance or security that there used to be. In fact, they keep getting conquered by nations and ruled over by foreign nations. Israel did not have the new heart. They still disobeyed. They were still sick with sin. God had fulfilled his promise, but not yet fully, only in part. And so, some number of hundreds of years later, a little boy is born in the town of Bethlehem. His name is Jesus. When Jesus grows up, he relives Israel's past. He is sent to Egypt as a young boy and flees from Egypt. He wanders in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Not 40 years, but that number represents something. And Jesus does what Israel never did. He perfectly obeys God's law. He perfectly obeys when, when Paul said no one is righteous, not even one, well, the only person, the one, is Jesus. But even though Jesus perfectly obeyed God's law, he gets put under the curse of the covenant. He dies on a cross, which is one of the marks of covenant cursing. Look with me at Galatians 3. I'll pop it up on the slide. You don't need to turn there. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing to another church, or a group of churches rather, and he says this about the curse that Jesus undergoes. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law. He sets us free from the curse of the law. How? By taking that curse upon himself. He was innocent. He deserved blessing, not curse. But he took our curse onto himself. 
and suffered under the curse so that we might benefit from his blessing. Even though we can't live up to God's standards, even though we deserve punishment, Jesus does this. He does it so that we might receive Abraham's blessing, which is another way of saying the blessing of Israel, that the Gentiles might have it. Gentiles are just those who are not Jews, who are not part of Israel, which means us, the world. And this blessing comes to us through faith, not because we've done anything, not because we've obeyed the law, but because we've trusted that Jesus has done it. We've had faith that Jesus has taken our curse and given us his blessing. Our blessing isn't the promised land of Israel. No, our blessing is heaven. It is life forever with our God. And so God now gives the new heart that he has promised. We receive the new heart when we trust in Jesus. God gives us a new heart and makes us new people. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. He's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. When we trust in Jesus, we're, we're somehow united with Jesus. We become one with Jesus through the work of God's Spirit. And so now that we say we're in Christ, and in Christ we're made new. We are made new people. The old person with their infected heart, with the heart that means they will disobey God, that person is gone, gone forever. The new person has a new heart, which is renewed by God day by day, so that now we can truly obey. Not perfectly, not on this side of the grave, but each day, by God's grace and mercy, through his work in the spirit, more and more we can obey. God gives us a new heart, a continually renewed heart, so that we can obey him and benefit from his eternal blessing. Oh, that's not right. Well, you might have to put up with that for a little bit. All right, well, let's keep moving on. Um, back in Deuteronomy 30... We're coming to our last point, choose life. We'll come to our last point, choose life, uh, where we'll see that not only Israel, but we are all given the choice of blessing and curse, of life or death. And we need to choose life. We need to not make the silly decision. So keep, keep your Bibles open. We'll go to uh, verse 11 in chapter 30. It might come up on the screen. Hey, Guys at the back are killing it. All right, so have a look on screen or look in your Bible. I'll read from verse 11 of chapter 30. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your, beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that we have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. God has given Israel his law. It's not far from them. God has brought it to them. They know the law. They have it in the book of Deuteronomy. They have it in Moses' speeches. 
But more than that, it's in their mouth. They're meant to speak it to one another, to remind one another. And in their heart, they're meant to dwell on it and know it. It's not too far. It's not out of their reach. And so obeying isn't impossible. Yes, Moses predicts their failure. Yes, they have a heart that's diseased. But it's not something that God has set up so it's impossible. No, it's their own fault that they don't obey. They've heard the law, they just need to obey it. And so God gives Israel this choice. You have the law, you're standing in front of the land, here's this choice. Read with me from verse 15. Verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands and decrees and laws. Then you will live in then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and to worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I've said this before already. Moses has said this before already. He's saying, Israel, if you obey, you will be blessed. You will have life in the land. You, your children, your children's children, their children and their children. But if you disobey, you will not live long in the land at all. You will die. You will die outside of the land. You'll be taken away. And so God appeals to Israel in verses 19 and 20. He says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God says, choose life. Choose obedience. Obey the law. Yes, Moses knows they will fail. Yes, their heart is infected with sin, but they still have a real decision to make. God has given them a real decision. They ought to choose life, but they will choose death. In the place of decision, at the edge of the promised land, Moses says, choose life. And you may not have picked this up yet already, but God is saying the exact same thing to us today. He's saying today, choose life. Israel back then, choose life. Us today, choose life. We have the choice of life and death. If we trust that Jesus has taken our curse on himself, if we trust that he obeyed the law when we couldn't, then God gives us life. The Lord God is our life. But if we reject Jesus, if we ignore him, if we choose to live our own way, if we think we're fine without God, then we will be under the curse of God's judgment. So we will die. So the same choice again, choose life. 
Just like the law isn't far from Israel, this message is not far from us. It's close. In Romans 10, the Apostle Paul again picks up Deuteronomy. And so in chapter 10, verse 8, which I'll pop up on the screen for you. There we go. In chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, he says, But what does it, that is faith, he's talking about our faith in Jesus, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Remember, that's what Deuteronomy says. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. What is that message? What do we proclaim? It's this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. That's the message. That's all there is to it. Well, it's the simplest version of the message. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead. That is how we choose life. That is how we're saved. It's not about what we do. We don't obey the law. We don't follow the law. We trust Jesus who has done it for us. If you're still figuring out who Jesus is, if you're still figuring out the whole Christian thing, then the message for you today is trust Jesus and choose life. But if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been in church for a long time, or even, even a short time, but are already trusting in Jesus, your message is the same message, trust Jesus and choose life. We have to keep doing this day by day. Every day we choose to confess that Jesus is our Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. The, the hard thing is that this choice of life, the world calls it the choice of death. They say that following Jesus, nah, that's the boring life, that's the, that's the dead life. Choosing life for the world is choosing uh, to party, it's choosing a big house, it's choosing, uh, I don't know, a nice boat or a yacht or something. The world bombards us with these messages and, and the world isn't even consistent about what life is. It just, it just throws all these random messages at us and says, no, this is life, this is life. Let me give you an example. Think about Christmas or maybe more recently uh, Thanksgiving, but we're not very American, so we'll, we'll choose Christmas. If you walk down the street here and ask people, what is the meaning of Christmas? You might get some kids saying, presents, or um, if you run into someone from church, they might say, Jesus. But the majority would probably say, family. Christmas is about family and spending time with family, and that's really good. That's a really nice thing. God has given us family so that we can love and enjoy them. But the very next day, Boxing Day, what message do the stores tell us? The message is, you can spend all your money and buy the gifts that you wished you'd gotten but didn't. Life is about things. It's not about family. Family's fine, but things are better. The world just throws these messages at us all the time. We're just being bombarded by them. There's ads on the sides of buses. There's ads at bus stops. There's ads on the side of buildings. Um, there's like five ads at the start of every YouTube video. They're all shooting messages at us saying, this is what life is. But we have to remember, no, that's not life. Life is through Jesus. We choose life through Jesus. Life isn't experiencing this world 
It's not that super cheap travel package. It's not family and friends. It's not making my mark here and now in this world. None of those things lead to life. Yes, they are good gifts from God, but they're not life. Life is in Jesus. We have to choose life every single day. We have to choose Jesus every single day. Only then can we enjoy all those other good things in the world for what they really are. So let me finish. Today, we've been given the choice, life or death, just like Israel. I encourage you to choose life, to trust Jesus, because he died for you. If you would, for the first time today, like to trust in Jesus, if, if you've decided that you want to confess that he is Lord, and if you've decided that you believe that God raised him from the dead, then I encourage you to come talk to me or one of the other pastors up the front, or you can talk to a friend who brought you or someone you feel comfortable with. Come to us after the service and, and tell us about how you're feeling and what decision you want to make. We'd love to talk to you about it. But don't let this precious opportunity pass. Choose life today. How about I pray? Father God, we're so thankful that you have given us this decision, that you haven't just left us here to die, but you have given us the cure for our hearts through Jesus. Help us today and this afternoon and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and every single day of our lives to choose life. Help us to fight the messages of this world, to see them for what they really are, leading to death, and help us to cling to Jesus. Give us the strength to do that. Amen.